Well, Corey is right. We have been praying and thinking about you guys all week and lifting you up. Even if it's your first time here, we really mean it. We are glad that you're here and we would love to meet you. We have a whole team willing to meet you and know more about your story. If you want to get plugged in, we also know since it's a packed house, our video venue is full. And would we welcome them in right now? Just say, hey, video venue, we are so glad that you are here. And uh, video venue, would you welcome us into your room right now? All right, maybe there's not that many people in there. I don't know. I didn't, didn't hear anybody. No, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. I'm so thrilled that you're with us. And I love this Easter season. I love everything about it. You know, I've done, did something I've never done before. We went Easter egg hunting in the snow yesterday. And uh, it was almost snow. It's kind of sleep. But uh, we had some Easter eggs out with the kiddos and had some fun. And, and there's so many different traditions. Hopefully you guys get together with your family, eat. I don't know what your family traditions are, uh, but we love it. And uh, actually, we started a new one with our staff here uh, at Northside, a couple of people surprises on our staff and they they put on an Easter egg hunt for our staff and they hid 2,000 Easter eggs throughout the building. So if you find some, let us know. All right. We don't know if we got them all. And uh, I thought we had a bunch of Christians on our staff. Uh, turns out we are pretty competitive as a staff. One lady got an elbow in the face, knocked her down as they were running out. Not really, but you know, we are competitive in Southern Indiana. If we don't win at basketball, we're going to win at Easter egg hunting. And uh, you know, it's just kind of in our blood here, man. We are competitive. But I love this season. I love all the traditions that come in. And, uh, and you know, for some of you, maybe you got an Easter basket this morning. You got some new clothes and everything. Uh, but deep in our heart, and I've been thinking about this question as we've gone into this series. And what we're going to talk about today is this. Is there anything more than just traditions at Easter? You know, I love the Reese egg and that's great and there's different things and maybe you got some new clothes and chances are, you know, if you're a little kid, you won't be able to fit in those clothes next year so you'll give them away or maybe you're an adult, there's chances are you might not fit in those clothes next year either, you know. And, and so we go, is there anything more than just some chocolates and a brunch and a new shirt? Or this? Is there anything more going on? Is there more than just kind of this traditional thing? And I love what one of my favorite theologians and historian N.T. Wright says about this at Easter. He said, because so many, he goes, we're, we're unaware of the fact that when Easter happened, he said at the tomb, it didn't look anything like this. It wasn't like a couple thousand people got together outside Jesus' tomb and started chanting, Jesus, Jesus. And then there comes the tomb and he walks out. You know how many people were there when he walked out of the tomb? Nobody. Nobody, because everybody thought it was over. They were unaware of what God was doing on Easter morning. And I love what N.T. Wright says about this. As he says on Easter morning, everything changed, and yet nothing changed at the same time. He said a lot of the disciples just went on with their life. He said Rome was still in charge. The Pharisees still ruled the temple. And so everything was still corrupt and all this other stuff was going on. But yet God had changed everything on Easter morning. And I love what N.T. Wright says about this. He goes, but the disciples were unaware of what God was doing. For some of you today, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but you may be totally unaware of what God is doing and what God wants to do in and through your life. 
Matter of fact, that's what I began to understand about Easter is this. Easter is about becoming aware that we are unaware of what God is doing in this world. This is what I'm finding fascinating as I'm learning more about how healthy companies are growing and healthy organizations. The number one thing that companies look for now is not just can you make them a bunch of money, but it's this phrase, do you have any self-awareness? Self-awareness. If you want to get hired, if you want to be a good employee, what they're saying is this, it's not just about your IQ anymore, it's now about your EQ. If you don't have emotional intelligence, if you don't know what you sound like, if you don't know what you come across to people like, you have no idea. And isn't it true, we are more aware of other people's deficiencies than we are our own? Man, we are so aware. We, we say stuff like this, man, they are unaware of what they're wearing right now, you know? They think that looks good, that does not look good, you know? Yeah. They're unaware, they are unaware of their coffee breath, you know, and they, they talk right in front of our face. They're unaware, they're unaware of this. And what is so fascinating is this, we are so aware of everybody else's unawareness except our own. My favorite story of my buddy who was unaware happened in Bible college, it was my freshman year. And uh, every freshman at my, at my Bible college had to read this book called The Universe Next Door. And uh, Dr. James Sires wrote this book, and it was about the seven major worldviews that are in the world. Because as Christians, we don't just need to know what we believe. We need to understand what the world believes so that we can engage them and understand them and love them and meet them right where they're at. And uh, so everybody's got to read it. And it's a pretty heady book, so it's kind of hard. You know, it's, it's a little bit of boring. And, and, uh, but one of the days at our chapel, they actually had Dr. James Sires come and speak. Which, here's the deal, a lot of times people can write books, but they can't give talks. And uh, they are unaware that they are not a good talker. And, uh, and everybody kind of knows that those lecture days, it's just going to be, a, oh, no. And, uh, and what was funny is I caught my, my buddy Brian. He was coming back from the, the restroom, and he just looked like a ghost. And I was like, dude, are you getting sick? Are you okay, man? What's going on? And he told me the story. He said he went in to use the restroom, and he was talking to some of these other guys, washing their hands in there. He goes, you guys ready for the lecture today? Universe next door. More like universe next bore. And he said, right when he said that, he heard a <laughs> and out from the toilet walked James Sire. Brian that day was unaware, but he quickly became aware who was in the room with him. And I, that's my prayer for you today is that you may have walked into this room unaware that God was here and he has been with you every step of your life. But my prayer for you today is that you would become aware of the love and the mercy and the grace that your father has for you. That you may not believe that you're worthy of this grace, but God says, I know you may have not earned it, but I want to give you grace. And what I'm finding more and more as I study the life of Jesus and I study the resurrection is this. The resurrection doesn't start with Easter egg hunts and, and all these brunches and all these good things. Actually, the resurrection starts in our disappointment and it leads to joy. Jesus isn't asking you just to fake it till you make it when you come in here today. What Jesus is asking you and I at the resurrection and on Easter Sunday is to say this, God, here are my disappointments. Would you redeem everything in my life? This is why I love the story in Luke chapter 24, because when the resurrection happens, everybody is unaware of what Jesus is doing. And there's disappointment all around. I got a question for you before we dive into the scripture here. Has Jesus ever disappointed you? Some of you are like, I can't be honest in church, man. <laughs> like, we can ask that? Yeah. Yeah, we can answer that. Can I be honest with you for a minute? 
Jesus has disappointed me before. And what Jesus is saying is this, Nate, in your disappointment, I want to do a good work. Matter of fact, I love this definition about stress. Stress is this. It's the difference between what our expectations are and what we're experiencing. At the resurrection, every disciple was disappointed in Jesus. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, two of the followers of Jesus, wasn't the 12, but two of these followers of Jesus were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jesus dies and everybody's like, I guess it's over. We just got to go home. And so they're just walking home and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I love this. Jesus was like undercover boss. You know, I don't know if he, you know, I guess he already had a mustache. I don't know if he had a mustache or what he was doing, but he walks up alongside these two guys who were followers of Jesus, who were there in Jerusalem. And now that Jesus is dead, they're just going home. It's all over. It's all over. And listen to what it says. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I love this, man. The more you read about Jesus, the more you find out he has a wicked sense of humor. I love it. This is what I love about our Savior. But listen to what they said. It said, they stood still and their faces downcast. You ever been at a point in your life where somebody comes up to you and they can tell things are not going well in your life and they ask you, hey, are you okay? And this is the only way that you can respond. And you can't even say it's bad. You're like, it's so bad, it's, you don't even have the words. So it's going on in these guys' life. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Then one of them, named Cleopas, asked Jesus, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? I love that he's just being honest. Are you unaware? It'd be like your friends coming in on Derby Week and they go, what's with the traffic, man? Why are the hotels so expensive? You're like, are you unaware? It's Derby, man. It's Derby. Wait, what? They're going, what? Do you not know what's going on? And I love Jesus. He's toying with them. What things? What things have been going on? I love our Savior. What things, he asked About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priest and our rulers had handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And listen to their heart. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. I love this about Jesus because what he's doing here is this. When it said that he kept them from recognizing them, and this is what I love about Jesus is this. He's going, I really want to know what's on these guys' hearts. 
I, I want to know what's on your heart. That's what Jesus is saying today. I want to know what is in your heart. I want to know what's on your heart. I want to know the disappointments that you carry. Sometimes it's fun. I'll go golf with some of the guys in my life group. And what's hilarious is we'll be golfing and they'll know some of the guys at the golf course and they'll be cutting up. And, and some of the guys that are around them, you know, they'll be saying some colorful things. And, uh, and then they'll introduce me. They go, hey, this is my pastor. And uh, they'll introduce me. And then immediately they go, oh, yeah, I, I, I am so sorry, pastor, you know. And, and they are unaware. And the thing is, I didn't come there to judge them. I didn't come there, you know, I didn't come there to criticize them. But what's funny is when people are unaware what they say. And Jesus says, this is why he keeps himself from revealing to, to them of who he is. Because he's going, I want to know what's really on your heart. I want to know what you're really going through. What is happening. And they even say that we had hoped. We had hoped this was going to work out. We had placed all of our eggs in the basket of Jesus. Go, you are going to change it. And then you die. We had hoped. See, what Jesus is wanting them and what he's wanting you and I to become aware of in this moment and in this passage is this, that when we have lost all hope, Jesus is still with us. It won't be long till you'll realize this, that everything in this world will let you down besides Jesus. Your friends will at some point. If you get married, don't put your spouse on a pedestal where Jesus belongs because your spouse will let you down. If you have kids, oh, they're so great till they turn one. <laughs> and you're like, Lord, what have you done? You know? And it won't be long till your kids will disappoint you. Won't be long till your boss or your job lets you down. It won't be long till your transmission lets you down. It won't be long till the weather lets you down. You know, yesterday you guys probably had a bunch of big plans. Weather hit, snowstorm, you know, and it's just out. And Jesus is saying, and this is what he's wanting us to know, and he's, this is what he's wanting these two guys to know right now, is this, even when you feel all alone, I am still with you. Matter of fact, loneliness, what people are finding is this, loneliness is becoming a bigger killer of people than what people understand. Matter of fact, I found this data is incredible. There's an insurance company that did a survey because health insurance people are having to take care of people who loneliness is now creating all sorts of physical ailments in people. And they're trying to figure out how do we cure loneliness and what do we do? And Jesus is like, I got an idea. It's called the church. You know, what if we really came around one another? And they gave this survey out and they had 20,000 people respond back. And they asked this one question. Uh, they asked a few, but this one question came back. Over 54% said this. They asked this question. Do you have one, at least one person who actually knows who you are? And 54%, over 10,000 people would be like, if we all took the survey, this side of the room, you guys responded by saying this. I don't have anybody who knows who I am. Oh, you're here in the room this morning. You're at church. But just because you're at church, just because you're in this room, doesn't mean you feel like somebody knows you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what Jesus and why the resurrection is so important because he's trying to say this, I am with you when you feel like no one else is. When you have lost all hope, we had hoped. They lost hope. It's all over. And Jesus goes, no, I am your hope. 
Matter of fact, I find this fascinating because it said he was walking along and it said the name of one of the guys, Cleopas. And I'm like, well, I'm going to learn more about Cleopas in the Bible. So I began to study where Cleopas is mentioned throughout the rest of the Bible. Guess what? It was a short study. You know why? It's the only time Cleopas is mentioned in the Bible. Jesus is making a point, Luke is making a point, that when you feel like you're a nobody, you are a somebody to Jesus. This is the power of the resurrection. That Jesus just could have gone to said, you know, I'm going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, or I'm going to send an email blast out to everybody, which none of us reads anyway, so stop sending them, you know, and, and quit replying all, everybody, all right, you know, and nobody wants to read that either. And Jesus could have done that. Let me just hit a reply all to everybody, and everybody would know, no, no, no. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to a couple guys who have lost hope, who are heading home, who have no purpose, who have no direction, who feel like God has let them down, and I'm going to make myself known to them. That is why Easter is so important. Samantha Capehart, one of our uh, staff members here, she sent me this. We were praying over you guys, and we were, I was sharing about what God's been laying on my heart this week, and I was sharing with the staff, and we were praying, and she sent me this quote from one of uh, the blogs that she reads, Alicia Bruxford, is this blog, and she gave me this quote about loneliness. I thought this was powerful. I wanted to share it with you. This is what the quote says. It says, loneliness can be a deep cut to our souls or a shortcut to our Savior. It's okay today if you're here and you go, I'm lonely, man. Oh, I mean, I'm here with family and I got a job and I got some friends, but I don't feel like anybody knows me. Man, I read that quote. I was like, that is so good. Loneliness can be a deep cut to our souls or it can be a shortcut to our Savior. You know, what's funny is this. You know, Samantha gave me that quote, and if you read in this passage, it said, in addition, the women were the ones who went and told the disciples about the resurrection. And what's fascinating about it, in this culture, in this time, women were not allowed to give valid testimony. Literally, this is how women were viewed in this time. You were just a, you were just a piece of property. You weren't a person. Even if you witnessed a crime, even if you witnessed something, you were, your voice was not valid. Do you see what Jesus is doing at the resurrection? He's saying every single one of you who feel like you are not valid, I am coming and I'm validating you. Women, he has given you value. He has given you the message of hope to go and give hope to the world. See, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus at the resurrection. He doesn't play by anybody else's rules. He makes the rules. And you know why? Because he's the king. See, when you are raised from the dead, you trump everybody else, man. Everybody, he's like, anybody? Anybody else? Anybody else come back from the dead? Okay, court is in order, right? Like I am on the throne and this is what Jesus is doing. You know, we think we're so progressive. We're going, we should stand up for women's rights. Jesus is like, y'all are 2,000 years behind. See, Jesus, this is why we got to pay attention to him. Because he's doing things that you and I are unaware of. We're unaware. And he's going, I want you to become aware of what I'm doing. When he rose from the dead, he became the king over your sin and your shame and death, and we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to worry about it. We know that day will come, but we know the one who's come to conquer it because he is our king. There's a show right now. It's the most popular show. I'll just put a picture up, see if you guys can guess what I'm talking about right now. Anybody, anybody know what this is, right? A little Game of Thrones. I, I got three kids. I fall asleep at 8 o'clock at night, right? I got like nothing in the tank, never seen an episode, don't know what's going on. But all I do is I hear about this show. And so I had to literally this week, I had to look up on Wikipedia what the show is even about. But the best I can get is what's going on is this. It's always about competing for the Iron Throne. The throne that's made of a thousand swords. 
And what you and I, a lot of times, are not aware of this, there is a war going on for the throne of our heart. Every day, there is a war for our heart. And whether you're a believer here today in Jesus or not, what you need to understand is this, that all of us, all of us have a king in our life. All of us worship something. If you don't know what you worship, if you don't worship Jesus, if Jesus isn't your king and you go, I don't know what I worship, just check what you order on Amazon Prime, right? See what your money goes to. See what fills up your calendar. See what you give your time to. See and become aware of what is controlling your heart. This is why Jesus says this. He's going, I'm not just with you. I've come to be your king. I've come to bring you hope when you've lost hope, but I've come to walk with you. This is why he tells them in verse 25, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus had told these guys, Listen, this is what's going down. I'm king, and not only am I king, I'm going to go and I'm going to die for the sins of the world, and then I'm going to resurrect, and then I'm going to bring my kingdom, and this is what's happening. And this is what, this is what the disciples do. They, we do this with a bunch of our friends and family members. Maybe you do this with your spouse. We have this thing called selective hearing. Here we go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What'd you say? Right? And you're like, you're not, you don't hear a word that I'm saying right now, you know? And this is what's happening here. He's going, how foolish and slow of heart. He's not trying to be mean. He's going, I told you these things. I told you these things. I told you these things. And did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus says, everything in the Bible is about me. Everything in the Old Testament is about this struggle that Israel wouldn't let God be their king. And you and I face the same struggle. What is going to be the king and who is going to be the king of our hearts and our lives? And oftentimes, this is how we run our life. For some of you in this room, graduation is approaching for either high school or college, and you want to be the king, and you think your career is going to save you. Or you think your scholarship is going to save you. Scholarships are great. Careers are great. Can I let you know this? They're an awful king. Because there will be a point that your scholarship will run out. And there will be a point when you will retire and you will no longer work. And when that happens, if your work is your king and you retire, you won't know who you are. Because you've let your career be your king. It's good to work. Work is a gift from God. It's a terrible king. Jesus is saying this. I want you to become aware of this, that when we can't save ourselves, Jesus can. When we're not a good king for ourselves, and all of us will let ourselves down, he's going, let me be the king of your life. See, Jesus is a different type of king. A lot of times, this is how the kings would rule. The kings would come in, and you were expected to die for the king, or the king would just kill you. That's how the kings work. And you know what our king does? He comes, and you know what he does for us? He doesn't come and kill us. What does he do? He comes and he dies for us. This is why we're so unaware of the ways of God, because he is so different from the world. He is so different from us. And this is why at Easter he's going, I want you to know that I have come to die. The Son of Man had to suffer. I had to suffer for your sins so you could be set free. And listen what he does next in verse 28. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. 
And I love this. And we're going to find out why he's doing this here in a second. But he goes, great, we're here at Emmaus. And they're kind of coming to this crossroads like, wait a second, this guy is sharing some real deal stuff. And I'm home and they're in this tension. I'm here, but I'm without hope. And this guy's giving me hope. And they're at a crossroads now. And listen what they say. It said, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, Jesus, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And guess what he said? I'm too busy for you. No, he didn't say that. I'm just, just, seeing if you're, just seeing if you're hanging with me here. You know what he said? So he went in to stay with them. He went in. He was like, oh, you, you want me to be a part of your life? I got time for you. I got time for you. So he went in and he stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to gave it, give it to them. And then their eyes were open. They became aware. Because where did they see that before? Oh, when he fed the 5,000, Father, thank you for this. And he begins to bless it and he begins to pass it out. And they begin to recognize, wait a second. Jesus talked about that he was the bread of life, that he came to give his life and give his life in abundance, wait a second, and they began to recognize, and then he disappeared from their sight. I love it, man. And you know why he did it? Because he's going, you got to follow me now. you got to begin to come after me. And listen to what they do, verse 33, or verse 31, it says, then their eyes were open, he disappeared, then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were we not becoming aware we had, we had hoped and now we were becoming hopeful? And so they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those who were with them. And they assembled together saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is what's phenomenal about Jesus. This is what he wants you to become aware of today. Not only is he with you, and not only is he here to be your king, but when you have lost your way, when you have lost your purpose, Jesus gives us our purpose. You ever ask that question? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Maybe some of you are wrestling with that. I wrestle with that even as a Christian. Yes, I got baptized. Yes, I placed my faith. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I am. But I'd say something. Like this. God, what, what, what's my purpose? And it wasn't until a couple of years ago I realized I was asking it in the wrong way. I, I was saying this. God, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Do you know the whole deal about purpose is it's not about you. It's about someone else. The whole purpose of purpose is about someone else. See, this is why you and I, we don't buy from places that go, hey, buy from us so we can get rich. You wouldn't buy from that person. We buy and we keep going back to those places who have what? The best customer what? Service. Oh, you too? Me too. We go, oh, you think about me. Oh, there's a purpose for me. See, this is what Jesus is doing right here. The question is this today. Have we invited Jesus to stay with us? Not just are you here at Easter service and not just will you open an Easter basket. Have you invited Jesus to stay with 
you. This is what I love about Jesus. He's not an oppressive king. He's not going to come and he's not going to kick down the door in your house and go, let me be your king. He's not going to be like Avon, right? He's not going to come around. Avon here, Jesus here. You have a space at your dinner table? I can see you do. You know where he is? He's with you in your darkest moments, even if you don't know it. And he's the king who has come to suffer for you, even when you don't know it. He's the king who's come to give you purpose. What's amazing is this. These two guys, they start on the road to Emmaus like this. And at the end of the conversation with Jesus, we find them running back to Jerusalem with purpose. See, this is the power of the resurrection. Some of you are going, Nate, I, I, I need that. What do I do? What's my next step? This is simply all you got to do. Let hope in. Let Jesus in. That's all they said. Would you stay with us? Would you stay with me, Jesus? Would you lead my life? Would you be my king? And what happens is this. When we say, Jesus, would you stay with us? And we sit down and we understand what he's done for us. Our eyes are open. Do your eyes need to be open today? It's not about your works. It's about you simply saying, I'm going to let you in. Jesus, you're already at the door of my heart. You already want to come in. You've already sacrificed yourself on the cross so I can be set free. You already conquered death and sin. So I don't have to live in fear that, God, you've already given me my purpose. I just need to follow you. Had a buddy I met a couple years ago. His name's Eric. When I met Eric, he was at a point in his life where he was... (sighs) And then he began to let hope in. Take a listen to Eric's story. So I was raised in Madison, Indiana, and my parents got divorced when I was very young. Still had a great relationship with both of my parents, but it wasn't uh, something to where I had church or, or faith in my life. At a very young age, you know, 16, 17 years old, I started looking to alcohol, to substance, to be something that kind of got me through my problems. Through some people that were close to me, I started to get involved with a church back in Madison that eventually led me to being baptized. And I think that I had a feeling that once I was baptized, that all my problems were gonna be solved. And uh, that definitely, definitely wasn't the case. I ended up moving here to New Albany and just started trying to make new friends and, and you know, kind of start over, give myself a fresh start. As I did that, I realized that all of those same problems, all of those same outlets to make the wrong decision are here just as much as they were back in that town too. I quickly found out that I couldn't just move away from my problems and the voids in my life that I was searching for. I was getting to a place to where I was gonna start losing some some important relationships in my life if I didn't do something to help myself. So at that time, the answer for me was to check into a facility that was gonna, you know, directly try to help me fix some of those problems with my addictions. And I did that. As soon as I got home, I kind of thought everybody would be right behind me and everything was gonna be better, and it wasn't. My girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, She knew that there was still a lot of me that needed some work, 
and she was at a place to where she just couldn't be there with me for that journey. I'd really damaged that relationship. And all the things that I learned uh, was kind of thrown out the window and I, I went back to making bad decisions. Through my line of work, I get to know and meet a lot of ministers and people that are involved in churches. So through that, I met George Ross and Nate, Ben, Brian Combs. There was just something different about those guys that I was meeting from, from Northside. They were always asking about my family, asking about me. In the midst of all this, I started working through my relationship with my girlfriend. We started attending Northside together people at the church, the people we were meeting just started feeding into us more, getting us to a place where we just wanted to be more involved. I was at a church service here one evening and they mentioned a group called Celebrate Recovery. They were talking about you know, people with hurts, habits, and hangups, and it really struck something in me that was like, that's something that I need to be involved in. I knew that that was something that could feed into me help me, but also be able to help other people. The more that I involve myself with Celebrate Recovery, I've seen how important it is to continue to show that love to other people. And what better way to glory God than to be the person that's gonna hold someone's hand through that journey in their life too. Love the story of Eric, because it starts down the road of, <laughs> Tried to move towns. Maybe I'll try this facility out. Maybe that'll fix me. Maybe this will happen. And it wasn't until he began to let hope in to the darkness. Till he actually began to believe that Jesus didn't just die for some people. He died for all people. And he came to be the king of us. And not only did he come to save Eric, he's now using Eric to be one of our leaders in Celebrate Recovery and helping other people who've gone through hard times in life. And I love it when we were filming that. <laughs> he goes, man, I can't believe God has me as one of the leaders here in Celebrate Recovery. And I said, me either, man. And no, I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that. But just like Eric, you and I are oftentimes very unaware of what God wants to do in our life. We're very unaware. Not just that he wants to save us, but that God would want to send you and I to help give hope to other people. And you go, I can't do it. And he goes, I know. That's why I came back from the dead. Because I've come not just to die for your sins. I've come to give you my Holy Spirit. I've come to sit with you, to have your heart as my table, to lead you to open doors, to do what you can't. This is the good news of the resurrection. And here in a moment, we're going to take the bread and the juice. Just like Jesus broke the bread, it is a reminder that he broke himself open and he poured himself out on that cross so that you and I could live free. And this is a moment for us. We do this every week at Northside. No matter how long we've been a follower of Jesus, we take this bread and the juice because we remind ourselves, no, 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 Jesus, you are the king. You're the one who saved me. You are the one that I follow. You are the one who holds my life together. And I want to invite you today, if you've never let him in, if you never let his hope in today, to let day, today be the day. 
You can simply on your Connect card before you leave, just simply put your name, say, hey, I'm ready for baptism. I'm ready to begin to follow. I'm ready to let hope in and drop that all on the box on the way out. And we would love to follow up with you. But Jesus is saying this, I'm here. Are you aware of the mercy and the grace that is knocking on your door? Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for the work in Eric's life. Thank you for the work here in your church that Jesus, we can't save ourselves and so we look to you. And Father, for those who are here today who are wrestling with that, Jesus, would your peace and your spirit overwhelm them right now? Father, would you allow them Help them to surrender their hearts and their lives to you. And Jesus, would we be a church that would come around people because that's why you've given the church so loneliness would be done away with because, Jesus, you've come to be with us in our most desperate moment. Jesus, be exalted today. May we be more aware of you in this moment right now than we ever have before. Before we take communion, I want us just to listen to a few words, and then we'll take the bread and the juice together.